Glory to Jesus Christ. Glory forever. In today's gospel reading, we hear this story of a lawyer who is posing these problems or questions or this test to Jesus. And he's asking Jesus about what must be done to inherit everlasting life. And the lawyer who asked this question, why is he asking? Why this specific question? Well, he's asking this question in direct response to the return of the 72 disciples whom Jesus had sent out. Recall at the beginning of this chapter of Luke, we hear how Jesus sends out the 72 disciples into the towns and villages ahead of him, where they are to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. We just heard in the gospel reading last week, in fact, what happened when these disciples returned in jubilation, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. So this question is asked because Jesus and his disciples were preaching to more than just the Jews. In the prior chapter of the Gospel of Luke, Jesus was just rejected by a Samaritan town where the people did not receive him. So while this lawyer is asking the question, what must I do to inherit everlasting life? He is also, in a way, asking the question, who can be saved? And Jesus does not provide a direct answer to this question, but instead answers the question with a question, prompting the answer out of the lawyer himself, who quotes from Deuteronomy and Leviticus and says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Now Jesus affirms that this is indeed the correct answer, but in his affirmation he does not narrow down who this applies to. And so the lawyer responds to this affirmation with a follow-up question. And this follow-up question is that kind of famous, yeah, but, that you will frequently hear from children who hear something they don't necessarily agree with. Can't you hear those words dripping out of the lawyer's mouth as he asks that second question? Yeah, but, who is my neighbor? Let me be clear. This second question the lawyer is not asked because of genuine curiosity about who his neighbor is. The question is asked by someone who does not want to associate with Samaritans. The question is asked by the lawyer, who is seeking a loophole in who his neighbor is. The lawyer is thinking, surely there is something in what this prophet is saying about who my neighbor is that does not require me to associate with Samaritans. It seems fairly often that Christians can ask questions like this lawyer does. Questions where we want to parse out what is really required by the church so that we can avoid the things that we can find to be uncomfortable. Maybe you yourself have asked some questions similar to this, questions about church law, such as, what must I do to fulfill the obligations of a day of obligation, a holy day? How soon after eating a meal can I receive communion? 
be careful when you're asking these questions that you aren't missing the point. Well, it's important to know when we are to avoid abuses of the church law, it seems that sometimes in asking these questions, we are simply seeking to reduce the impact of church and faith on our life. We seek to narrow down how much time, talent, and treasure we have to invest in church. When we receive the teaching of the church, when we receive the teaching of the gospel, how often are we responding like this lawyer? How often do we say, yeah, but? People always try to find an angle. We always try to seek to justify ourselves and find the easier way to satisfy the law. We try to find that interpretation that suits us and doesn't require us to change our own hardened heart. We try to find that interpretation that does not require as much work. Are those not the interpretations used by the priest, used by the Levite, who passed on even after seeing this traveler in distress? I think their reasoning was that surely they could not approach this man and help him, lest they defile themselves according to the law and attend to the one who was half dead. In these interpretations, they were not just using the law correctly, they were using it as a tool to limit how much they had to invest, how much time they would have to take. Just this last week, I had a video pop up into my video feed it was a fairly silly show where they had contestants on and they would partake in rather silly activities, simple tasks, but difficult to accomplish for the constraints of the show. And in this one episode, the task was simply to take three large exercise balls, perhaps 30 inches or so long, and take them up to the top of a hill and put them on the yoga mat that was up there. Now these balls were too large to carry all three at once. So the first contestant grabbed two of them and started kicking the third one up to the top of the hill. But it was a windy day. And so as he was kicking the ball, it was carried off by the wind. And so it took him quite a while to actually get all three up on top of the hill. The second contestant was perhaps a little better at it. He only carried two balls up at once. But as he went down to get the third one, one of the ones he had carried up to the top was taken off by the wind. And the final contestant, after having read the rules of the contest, stopped and picked up the rules again. And here, you can tell there's going to be a problem. So he read the rules very carefully. And he read that he was to take the three balls and put them on top of the yoga mat on top of the hill. So he trotted off to the top of the hill, grabbed the yoga mat, brought it back down, and put the three balls on it. Done. Hmm. Perhaps, but he's missing the point. When it comes to our faith, we can't just move the yoga mat. The point of the church teaching is to teach us to move from the valley of sin and to be the light shining on top of the hill. 
to continue the analogy, it isn't so much the importance of where the balls end up. It is where we end up after having moved them. So ask yourself the question, is the rule or teaching there to help me in my acquisition of virtue, or am I there in order to meet the requirements of the law? Life is not a game show. The acquisition of virtue is not a race where we can bend or twist the rules in order to get ahead. At the end of the day, our Lord is not looking for someone who just minimally satisfies the law. He is looking for someone who is in love with him and is on fire for him. He is looking for the one that recognizes his presence in his neighbor and understands the meaning of his commandments. The commandments of God, the laws of the church, are not in and of themselves what we believe in. We believe in Jesus Christ. And his commandments point us in the right direction for how we are to live out that belief in relationship. The prophets spoke to this concept. And in Hosea 6.6, we hear the Lord speaking through the prophet saying, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God, not burnt offerings. And Jesus even quoted Hosea from this passage when he spoke to the Pharisees when they criticized his disciples for breaking the Sabbath. Jesus told them that if they knew the meaning of this passage, they would have not condemned the guiltless for their perception of breaking the law. So after explaining what the priest did, after explaining what the Levite did in his parable, and what the Samaritan did, Jesus asked the lawyer one final question. Who was neighbor to the man who fell in with robbers? The answer from the lawyer is quite telling. He cannot bring himself to utter the word Samaritan because he is still conflicted about who indeed his neighbor is. But he does acknowledge that it was the Samaritan who acted with mercy and compassion and treated his neighbor as himself. Acting in this way is the way to salvation. Let us not stop and ask that, yeah, but question. Let us not seek to minimize the effort we put into church but let us maximize a relationship with the Lord. As the Lord commanded the lawyer, let us go and do the same and become the ones who act with mercy and compassion. Glory to Jesus Christ.